how many times do I sit in my office and I'm like, man, you say the right things to your spouse, but your heart is far from her. so much for coming out. You can go ahead and have a seat. Um, it is good to be in the house of the Lord today. It is. And uh, I've been a little emotional uh, over the last few days, man, being with families. The, the, the joy of being a pastor is I get to be with people in the most significant moments of their life. And the hard part about being a pastor is you get to be with people in the most significant portions of their life. Um, I do be praying. So we're going to share about the Escalantes and the services this morning. And then the one o'clock service, uh, they're going to actually come and be here. And we're going to spend time praying over the family. You are more than welcome to come back if you would like to do that. You do not have to. And, um, but know that. And then tonight, uh, for those that are going to join us for our One Together service downtown, um, we are going to be, man, just proclaiming the love and hope of Jesus Christ as we fight uh, for racial reconciliation and healing even between people groups in the greater Indianapolis area. As we join God's grace and Bishop Thompson, I cannot wait to bring the word downtown. Um, I'll be speaking about five times today. Let's go. Let's go. Um, so love you all, love that you're here. Let's jump into this. I'm very excited about today's message. And in a sense, it works as a primer uh, to a whole series we're gonna do on the fall talking about love, what is, what is love. Now the interesting thing about this idea of love is if I was to just take a poll, like go out and walk through Indy and you know, put staff members to play around the different campuses, whatever, and go, do you think love is important to humans? Everybody would say yes. Everybody would say love is important to humans. But the truth is, what people mean by what is loving is incredibly different. And, and I believe that the enemy knows that he cannot erase an innate quality shaped in the human. Like, it's in us. The desire for love is in us. He can't take that out. He can't rewrite our identity. So since he can't rewrite it, what he does is he takes it and he just wants to put it askew a little bit. In fact, I would say some of the greatest tactics of the enemy are things that are 99% right. I believe one of the greatest tactics of the enemy are things that are 99% right. And you just get it off a degree or two, and over time it grows into something that's much less Correct. And I really do think that's one of the greatest tactics of the enemy. Um, I want to open with this idea, and this is an idea that's been shaped for those that have grown up in the church or studied at seminary. You'll know this to be true. Um, real love is about rightly placed affection and attention. It's about rightly placed affection and attention. So the way it's been stated by different theologians over the years, so if you've read like Augustine and I mean just through history and um, gone through, I mean I get Chesterton, Lewis, all the way through, the way many of them say it is rightly ordered love. So you have to have rightly ordered love. So, and by love, it also includes affection and attention. Love is this complex idea that has evolved through history. Uh, let me see if I can give an initial example to help make this clear. Imagine with me, 
that somebody comes into my office, a young, beautiful, I'm going to try to make this awkward on purpose. Um, my wife is in here. She knows I'm going to do this illustration. Uh, imagine with me that a young, beautiful woman comes into my office for counseling. And um, I'm, I'm, not a good, I have, I'm not a good counselor. We have, you know, Turning Points Counseling Center. If you need counseling, go to an actual counselor, a good counselor. I love to debate theology and talk philosophy. But if you're looking for me to do like heart encouragement stuff, my brain, I just don't do that very well, but I do love you a ton. I do love you a ton. So half the people leave mad at me and I'm like, I don't know what happened. Um, so go see Sharon, go see Leslie, go see people that, that know what they're doing. Uh, but in this man, imagine with me that a young girl comes in for counseling. She sits down in my office and I think like in the back of your mind, you think, wow, she's beautiful. And imagine that she keeps coming in for counseling and I keep meeting with her and, you know, and as we begin to build a relationship, I mean, it's all appropriate, but as we're talking back and forth, you know, I begin like texting with her words of encouragement, prayer. Hey, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. And she's like, thank you so much, Pastor Mike. That means the world to me. And it's like, hey man, you matter to me today. And I mean, these are all good things in a sense, right? And I continue to build this. She continues to come in for counseling. We begin to talk. She's sharing her heart. As I'm talking with her more and more, um, it begins to evolve into like where I wake up one day and I'm going in to meet her and I know she's going to be there for counseling. And I found myself getting ready a little bit more. So you know this person's going to be there, so you just brush your teeth one more time and add a little bit more, you know, cologne or something, right? You just go one more step because you know this person's going to be present. And imagine with me that over time in building this relationship, we continue to connect. She continues to come up for counseling. I'm enjoying her. I grow ever more frustrated with my wife. Right? I, I don't, by the way. I'm not frustrated. I love you a ton. You're amazing. I already got permission to share this as an illustration. Our marriage is in great shape. Don't assume anything. That's right. She is awesome. And, uh, but imagine me. So just imagine me. She finds my phone, looks at the text messages, and she can't find anything wrong, but she feels off in her heart. Like we're growing apart. I'm growing in relationship with this other person. And she comes up to me and she goes, what is the deal? Why are you always talking to this person? Are you having an affair? And let's say I respond with, no, I am not. I've done nothing wrong. I still have my ring on. I still have honor. I've not done anything technically inappropriate. Like, in a sense, I've abided by all the rules of love. And let's say I'm even annoyed at her idea. Like, why would you even say that? Now, now hang on just a second. In a sense... It is true that I've done nothing wrong. But we all intuitively know that something's wrong. In a sense, we know I've done nothing wrong, but we intuitively know, we intuitively know that something is wrong. In fact, when you look through one of the meta-narratives of Scripture, one of the kind of the overarching ideas through the Bible, you find that this idea of not just obeying the laws of God, but having a heart for God, rightly ordered loves, as many theologians have said, it, is a really important idea. In fact, you go all the way back into the Old Testament and you find prophetically, you know, so through a prophet, you find texts like this. These people come near to me with their mouth. They say all the right things, but their hearts are... How many times do I sit in my office and I'm like, man, you say the right things to your spouse, but your heart is far from her. 
Because rightly ordered loves is not just about by abiding by the rules. There is supposed to be a rightly aimed heart. It matters. It matters. Maybe a good way to say it would be this. Most people intuitively know. Most people intuitively know love is a is central, it is central to a good life. To Christians, to Christians, so we all know that love is central to a good life, but to Christians, scripture teaches that love is the very nature of God himself, right? So what do we know because of this? The enemy is always working to poison what love actually looks like. This is a continual war. It's happened all through history. And there are a couple things that we can kind of deduce from this. So one of them is, Love is innate in us. We all long to be loved, which means the very nature of God is woven into the human creation. It's in us. And we also know that the enemy is constantly working to poison that peace of God that's woven into who we are. It's always happening. So the enemy doesn't say humans don't love. The enemy wants to shape what love means to humans until they end up lost. Another important part of this before we get to the text specifically is today we work to make clear what godly love is. Now, this is merely a primer to a whole series we're going to do on the fall as we talk about how culture has shaped love and how scripture and ultimately Jesus is the embodiment of love. And we're going to even compare and contrast to a little bit today and a lot more in the fall of what is love as defined by culture and what is love as defined by God. The thing that's so important to this is we clarify the culture of our forever family here. In fact, uh, in theology, there's this idea, it's called perichoresis. And what it means is so, like in the beginning, God created. So the family of God, the spirit hovers above the water, the father, the son. So theologically, we are from a family. So like a baby is born into our family you were all the creation of humanity when God, out of the dust of the ground, rose up man and breathes breath into it and it comes to life. You were created, humans were created from a family. And the question is, what is the culture of that family? Every home has a culture. If you go to my home, there's going to be a culture to it, how we interact with each other, you know, how we talk, how we engage, right? Like, so there's a culture in our home. There is a culture on the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the way they talk about this paracrete is how the Father interacts with the Son, interacts with the Spirit, interacts with the Father. How do they all get along together? Listen, love is the culture of our forever family. And the enemy absolutely wants you to then think of a version of love that doesn't actually match love. He wants to tinker with that world until you don't want the right embodied eternal definition of the forever family. I hope you're following me. Let's go even deeper into this. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. I'm going to read 4 through 8. I'm going to read it out of the ESV. You're memorizing it out of the NIV. And we're going to read through verse 8, but you're only memorizing through verse 7. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. So just hang with the memorization cards that you got, but we need to add a little context for understanding. So 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, I'm going to read. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. 
It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So in our human story, be aware of all the things that will die away when this world comes to an end. But the thing that lasts forever is the culture of our forever family, which is love. A little context here that's important. Remember when we read the Bible, historical context, literary context, it all matters. So a little bit of context here. Early Christians were doing what Christians today do. They were fighting over what is the prime good in worship. So like what's the prime good? When a church gathers together, what is the prime good? What should we elevate the most? And so like today, back then, some people thought speaking in tongues was the prime good. If you're not speaking in tongues, you're not you know, being moved by the Spirit, God's not doing his thing. Speaking in tongues was the prime good. Some people thought giving to the poor was the prime good. Some people thought prophecy, like speaking the words of God, was the prime good. Some people thought self-sacrifice, if I surrender my body to the flames, as it says in Corinthians, is the prime good. These are all good things. Some people even thought that the prime good was making sure to follow the best theology and philosophy teachers, some Apollos, some Paul, so they're all fighting about what is the prime good. And we do this even today. It's like, man, I need to go to Trinity because I'm going to get whatever Bible teaching. Or I need to go to this church because their worship is. Or man, I love speaking in tongues and they do that best over here. And I think that's the best way. Or I love this church because they're all about everything they do is all about giving to the poor. That's, they're all fighting with each other over what is the prime good. They're all good, but they can't get along because they're fighting over what is the prime good. Along comes Paul, and he's going to put them all in their place. Not by saying all your goods are a bad, but there is a prime good, and it's not those, because all those things are going to pass away. There will come a day when you can't give out to the poor. Because there aren't the poor in heaven. It even says knowledge comes to an end. So like people in this room, for whatever reason, you were born, your mind is sharp, you're quick, you can think quicker than the next person. I don't know how all this works, but that advantage you have today, I'm not sure it's going to be there in heaven. I don't know. I don't know. What is the eternal thing? Well, what we find is love is the prime good. It is the culture of the forever family, and it is the only gift that has the ability to last for forever. The virtue that we should embrace as the prime good is the very virtue that's going to continue on after you die. So if you make all of your life about a virtue that's good, but it's going to pass away at the end, you're still missing the prime good. The prime good is love because it's the forever value. It's the forever family cultural value. Again, all those other things are good. They're not bad. They're good. But there is a prime good. Paul even goes on to say, love is the superior, spirit, superior spiritual gift. And all believers have the capacity to practice it. Now, I think what happens with us as Christians is we love to find unique things that we're good at and go, I'm amazing. 
I have the gift of tongues. I have the gift of prophecy. I have the ability to give lots to the poor. I have the, I want people to look at us and go, oh, I wish I could do it like them. I wish I could sing like them. I wish I could, you know, teach like them. I wish I could, you know, had the money to be able to give like them. I wish I could do all those things like them. God actually spread out the forever gift that we all get to have for forever. And all of us have the ability to walk in it. It's love. Do you understand that love is a greater gift than giving to the poor? In fact, giving to the poor rightly is a result of right love. It is a greater gift than knowledge. It's a greater gift than prophecy. It's a greater gift than surrendering your body to the flames. Love is a superior gift. In fact, it rightly orders all these other things that some of us can do or love to value. So, let me ask a couple questions. What exactly does this spiritual gift of love look like? I want to begin by just briefly talking about how culture defines love. So, culture says, what does culture say is loving right now? We're going to talk a whole lot more about this in the fall. Right? Because the enemy can't take out of us the need for love, so he wants to wrongly aim love. He wants to wrongly define love. So he grabs that dial and he wants to make it 1% off, 2% off. Culture says what is most loving is most permissive. Right? So if you really love somebody, you're going to let them do whatever they want to do, however they want to do it, be whoever they want to be, become whoever they want to become. Culture teaches what is most loving is most permissive. We're going to talk about that a lot in a couple of, be like a month and a half, whenever that is coming up. Culture talks about what is most loving is most permissive. Culture says love is the feeling of pleasure. And what you're going to find is there is some truth in each of these. Because remember, the greatest tool of the enemy isn't like something totally wrong. We're like, that's definitely off. The greatest tool of the enemy is like, that sounds kind of right. Culture says love is the feeling of pleasure. It can be there, and it ought to be there, but there's a deeper definition than just does it feel good. Culture says you must love yourself first. I was watching a kid's show the other day, and it was talking about how important it is to love yourself first, and you can't love other people well until you love yourself first. And I was like, wow, it sounds so good. And there are parts of that that are right, but it is definitely missing the prime idea of scriptural love. Culture says that you must love yourself first. Culture says love protects itself first. I got to protect my own heart. I mean, like, how many times we live in a culture where people are so ultra sensitive. And because they're ultra sensitive, they call everything, right? Everything is poisonous. Everything is just like every relationship they get into is dangerous or poisonous or bad or whatever. So, they can't get in any deep relationship because they're always trying to protect their heart from any potential pain that could ever happen. So you never stay in a small group. You never get deep. You don't stay in marriage. You don't stay in a small group. You don't stay in a group. You don't even stay in a church. The moment you are first offended, it's like, oh my goodness, this just, it, it feels like it's, it's just, I'm, I'm challenged, it's off, it's, it doesn't feel right. It's... Culture says you must protect yourself first. Culture says love protects itself first. Culture says love trusts its own desires. What do we look at an eight-year-old and say, 
whatever you want to be, we're going to spend anything we can to make you become it. Culture says love protects love trusts in its own desires. Listen, the scripture says, not should we not only do that, it says the heart is deceitful. Above all things, our own heart can be deceitful to us. We can't even trust our own hearts without help. Culture says loving yourself is to be proud, is to pursue fame and rejoice when you beat out other people and win. That's good loving of yourself, right? Culture says, let how you feel define what is right for you. That's what love is. Loving yourself well means following your desires, embracing your desires. I mean, embracing your desires to the point where it hurts other people is good self-love is what we're taught in culture. Now, again, in a lot of these things, the enemy, like when the enemy throws up things that are totally off, we go, no, that's not right. But the enemy puts up things that are one degree, two degree, three degrees off. We're like, that sounds pretty good. That's how he gets us. He is, as we learn in the texts, a master deceiver. If you think you're above the deception of the enemy, you are most likely to fall into it. I'm going to invite Josh up. Let's go back and begin to define what love is. So what does God say love is? What does God say that love is? What does God say? Or Tyler. Tyler's going to come up, not Josh. We love Josh. That's good. What does God say love is? What does God say love is? All right, so listen to these. Listen to just these words. We're going to go into a lot of detail in the fall. We're going to do a whole series on this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. They deserve that. Love rejoices with the truth. It bears all things. Why you walk away? Why you always walk away? Everybody walks away. Our culture walks away. Cancel culture. It's the, the, the whole tone of our nation is bear nothing from each other. Hate everyone. Want revenge on everything. That is the opposite of what love is here. It's the opposite. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. We're going to talk about that in detail because that matters. I'm afraid you're going to hear it wrong. We'll talk about that more in the future. Love hopes in all things. I mean, you look at the hardest, most difficult situation, the person that's most lost, and you don't want them destroyed. You want them rescued. Love endures all things. And then I love this idea, love never ends. It's the kingdom gift to the church that doesn't come to an end. It keeps going after death. After this age is over, it keeps going. So, okay, let me just lay a couple of statements out there. I want to be strong with this in a very pastoral way. The battle over who gets to define love is a big deal. 
The battle over who gets to define love is a big deal, right? In fact, what we find is the consequences of who gets to define love to you will have eternal impact on your soul. Let me maybe take the same idea and pose it as a question. Is love defined by temporary culture or the eternal God to you? Is love defined by temporary culture or the eternal God to you? Is love defined by temporary culture or the eternal God to you? I love you, church, family. Listen, in our world, like as we move more and more and more away from Christ and kingdom values, as culture shifts further away, you need to know you are going to look less like society every day. And what you value and how you engage. Like, we're going to be missionaries in the world, and now we're going to even be out in the world, and they're going to be like, wow, even the way you do business, the way you act as a lawyer, the way you engage as a medical doctor, the way you do finances as an accountant, the way you sell cars, you are going to, every part of who you are is going to look less and less and less like this world as the world drifts from the eternal truth. It's just going to happen. This verse that we are going to memorize over this next week, whole church, all campuses, all our people, we're all gonna memorize this. As we memorize this verse this week, this verse is a countercultural compass that impacts the destination of your soul. You need to put this to heart. And we're gonna understand it even more later on. Okay, so let me sum it up with this idea. Sum it up with this idea. Jesus... Jesus, 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 Jesus. He is the perfect embodiment of love. So when God looks at us and he's like, wow, you humans, you really are getting this wrong. And every time I try to give you a definition, you misinterpret it, you change it, you redirect its meanings. So instead of just giving you a definition, I am going to embody the culture of our family in a person. I'm going to embody the culture of our forever family in a person and God then has Jesus come down to earth and he is the living, breathing embodiment of the forever family culture. And listen, if you choose to embrace the forever family culture, you get to be in the forever family. So in your mind, I just want to paint a couple pictures. As Jesus weeps, think of the people that you really hate in culture right now. The other political party, wherever you're at, the other political party. The other side. of whatever decision is hot in culture right now, the other side of the picture of abortion or the other, whatever it is, pick whatever it is, the opposite group. In your mind's eye, remember Jesus looking at Jerusalem, the people that are not with him. And he's not like, burn it to the ground. 
he weeps with compassion for them. See, you can see things wherever you're at on these, you can see things that are wrong in other people and be right about seeing what's wrong and still have that perspective do something very wrong to your heart. Do you see it? You can be right about an issue and still have the enemy do something very wrong to your heart. So if you land as the bitter, angry, even about something that is truly off, you are becoming the very poison that you're saying you hate. You are going from Anakin to Darth Vader. Welcome. Welcome to the masterful work of the enemy as you accurately show what's wrong while your heart is falling apart. I have lost more good pastors to that than anything else. I, I call it, when I'm, when I'm mentoring young pastors, I call it the Vader syndrome. See Jesus weeping over Jerusalem and all of their evil. He weeps. He wants them rescued, not destroyed. See the woman at the well who was in sexual sin. He wants her, and he wants her free from the sin. Grace and truth. I want you to see in your mind's eye, remember Jesus brings into his posse, right, a religious zealot. And he brings in a Roman sympathizer, right, in Matthew, who made a ton of money as a tax collector. Oh, it would be awesome if Jesus showed up and he's like, Christian Democrat, Christian Republican, you're both with me. And their whole time they're like, what? And he's like, by the way, you're both wrong in different areas. And I am the right. Remember him as he heals and loves, heals and loves countless people who don't deserve it. Remember him as he reinstates Peter who literally rejected him. Jesus is the embodiment of love, not the news, not an Ivy League school, not the next popular author, not Oprah. Jesus is the embodiment of perfect love. There is no other way. So let me ask this question. If you would grab the next steps card, everybody get the next steps card out, pull it out, pull it out. At least pretend like you're, this is really hitting home, you know, so get the next steps card out, pull it out, pull it out. Everybody get the next steps card out. Grab a pen if you can, if you're watching online. Love all our online people. Um, shout out to the Oklahoma crew. I just heard about a group of people that meet in Oklahoma and watch our services. Love you all. Um, listen, so here's the deal. Grab the next steps card, pull it out. And if you're online, you can fill it out online digitally too. But here's what I want to ask. Just off topic, we're going to do a whole lot more of this in the weeks to come. But in what area of love do you need to grow in? Just I'm curious, how is God challenging your heart right now to realign even tighter with what is right love? Is there an area where you need to grow in rightly ordered love?
That's a deep question. It's way easier when Mike just asks simple questions. But like prefrontal cortex, heavy engaged, contemplative questions, I like it when you wrestle with them. In what areas do you need to maybe rightly reorder your love? Who needs grace? Who do you need to have compassion for? Take some time and write. I want you to know, I love you. I love that I get to be your pastor. And I want more than anything else for you to taste and see how good Jesus is. I don't want you to only know love. I want you to literally walk in how good it is for forever. That's what I want for you. Go ahead and write, reflect, take time, go for it. Thanks for listening to Sunday Sermon on the Made for More podcast. If you are not connected in a church community, we would love to connect with you. Send us a message on social media or fill out a digital next steps card at encountertrinity.com slash next steps.